Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, the role of technology in sport is one that absolutely fascinates me. The quest to run faster, to be able to jump higher, to be able to hit harder, to be able to protect ourselves better. And when it comes to golf, to be able to hit longer, hit straighter, eradicate mistakes. Technology is playing such a crucial role in the advancement of sport and the performance in sport. I thought it was a great opportunity to have a chat uh, about it. Now, we were going to have this chat, uh, myself and my partner in crime on Off The Tee, our dedicated golf show on SEN with Nick Ahern. But Nick, our, 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 uh, our run finished for the year. So you had the idea that let's bring in our guest anyway with you and we will have a chat uh, about all things technology in sport. Hello, first of all, to you. G'day, Sam. It's great to be Yes, it was my fault because uh, the Cathedral <laughs> Invitational got in the way. I had to play some golf and we sort of, uh, you know, finished up with the Australian Open preview, which we're going to talk about. And uh, But we're going to get going next year and uh, this will be part of it, obviously. Absolutely. So I didn't even introduce you in my normal way. The former world number 16, the only man with the two-zip record <laughs> in match play golf against Tiger Woods. It's great to have you here. A couple of things we have to cross off with you. But uh, the man that we are going to be exploring the role of technology in sport with, that uh, we couldn't have found anyone better to do it. Head of Performance Research at Ping. Ping were a sponsor of ours on Off the Tee, and we greatly appreciated that. Jonathan Shepard, uh, PhD in Sports Engineering at Griffith University, uh, working in collaboration with Queensland Academy of Sport in applied high-performance context, uh, bachelor's degree in biomedical engineering, um, and was the president for the International Sports Engineering Association, the industry body for sports engineering sector. So we have hit the jackpot here. Jono, hello to you. G'day, mate. Thanks for having me on. Um, cannot wait to delve a little bit deep into the role of sport and technology. But Nick, a couple of things we have to cross off on. Mm. We haven't spoken, you and I, since the Australian Open. The first time ever men's, women's, all abilities run in conjunction across Victoria and Kingston Heath. Um, Adrian Moronk, a five-shot win over Adam Scott. Minwoo Lee in that top three as well on the men's. Ash Buhai had a one-shot win over G.I. Shin. But then a couple of shots back, Hannah Green... Grace Kim, one shot further back, and then Minji Lee. So our best Aussies were all in the mix. Um, and then uh, to Kip uh, Poppet, who won the All Abilities, what did you make of the, the whole four days and how it all played out? Oh, it was fascinating. I mean, we had basically three tournaments in one going at the same time. So I was commentating, doing uh, the TV work there with uh, with the crew, and it got a bit, not confusing, but there were so many different scenarios that mm. were playing out. However... I think, you know, we had the, the women's group uh, in the second last group of the day and then the men obviously playing behind them. So it was great viewing, I think, from the public to be able to see the men and the women play the same golf course together in separate tournaments. And I would have loved to have seen two Aussie winners, obviously. I had a soft spot, obviously, for Hannah Green coming from my home club at Mount Lawley in yes. Perth. I would have loved her to see her take it out. But Ashley Buhai was just... Too solid, basically. And Grace Kim, she had a great chance at the end Didn't there. she ever? Yeah. I mean, playing 17, I think she was tied for the lead. Took two to get out of the bunker. Only made the par because 17 was the par five for the women. And then the 18th, unfortunately, took two more to get out of a fairway bunker. Made double bogey. So Ashley Buhai 
ended up uh, only having to par the last to take out the win from G.A. Shin. So a fantastic win from, for the South African. She obviously won the Women's British Open earlier in the what year. What a year so she had. It's an incredible year for her. She had a husband on the bag as well, yeah, so I'm sure they celebrated of emotion. pretty hard that night, which was good. And then on the men's side, I mean, Adam Scott, wouldn't it have been great to see him win the tournament? He had his chances, but Adrian Moronk, um, and I have, again, a soft spot for Adrian because he is a ping player. Uh, he drove the ball. Done. Yes, he drove the ball, and his iron play was just outstanding, which goes to the quality of the equipment, obviously. But yes. he's an amazing player. One of those uh, swings where he's got the longest waggle or you know pre-shot routine in the world as far as his uh, his waggle goes. He takes a full swing, and you go, "Oh, he's about to hit it." No, he's not. So you kind of get a little put off by that. But once you get used to it, his ball striking that Sunday was just outstanding. Yep. I think he only missed one fairway, one green. And he took the tournament by the scruff of the neck. And Adam Scott had a great chance, but hit two really bad tee shots on the back nine with yeah, iron. It was very strange, to be yeah. honest. I've, I've never seen him do that. So Adrian was a deserved winner. Um, he was the first Polish player to win on the DP World Tour earlier in the year when he won the Irish Open. Yeah, already Poland's greatest ever golfer. Yeah, there you go. I mean, well, I'm not going to say that was too difficult, but because there's not too many <laughs> golfers over there in Poland. And I may, I may cop it for that, obviously. But the but, beautiful uh, part was that Adam Scott was his childhood idol. Yeah, and they got to play together got in to the final together. round. So that was pretty How special. good was that? Yeah. And then we had the all abilities, obviously. Kip Popper, I mean, the final round, I think he shot two or three under. That was incredible golf Brilliant out there golf. because Victoria Golf Club is not easy, let me tell you. Uh, so all in all, um, a, a raging success from my view, from your view uh, as well. And, geez, we had both predicted that, uh, you know, that the fairy tale finish would have been Min Woo Lee and Min Ji Lee, both mm. uh, winning, uh, brother-sister combo. It was very, very close to eventuating. The other thing that I had said on in another show was that my belief was that the, the winner would be someone, I, I thought we could get two Australian winners, and that would be the next stars that we are going to see, take the, the next ones to step up and put their name mm. in lights. Now, Min, uh, Min Woo Lee has been just outside the top 50 at a time, but his performances in the back part of the year in the DP World Tour, he started to really show some of that consistency. I thought this could have been his moment, and I was really happy to see someone who I've been uh, talking about for a while with you, and that was Grace Kim, mm. who I saw come second by a shot in Dubbo in the New South Wales Regional Series. Um, she uh, was leading um, for a fair chunk uh, day three, yeah, I believe so. She, yeah. Day three, she was up there. Or maybe after day two, actually. I think she might have had the halfway lead. But she she really impresses. Um, she just got a card on the LPGA tour through the Symmetra tour, which is yeah. the secondary tour over there. We're going to see a lot of her next season. She hits the ball further than I do, which isn't that hard. But she <laughs> she really is an amazing ball Beautiful striker. Swing. Had a great chance to take it out. And I think she'll learn a lot from yeah. it. Um, you know, it's, it's not easy to win. It really isn't. Especially, and I looked at the... I looked at the women's leaderboard, and I think the top six or seven players, other than Grace Kim, they'd all been multiple or at least one major champion. So yeah. uh, it was an incredible leaderboard on the women's side. It was. Uh, just quickly, Cathedral Invitational, mm. um, a playoff, Nick Flanagan beating uh, uh, Scott uh, Arnold. Kari Webb. Oh, I know. Yeah, Kari had it. She had it in had her it grasp. In her grasp. Yeah, she was playing beautiful. And I, I, I would have, again, you know, selfishly, look, I would have loved to have been me winning, but I didn't play very well, unfortunately. Um, it took me a while to find you. On the, <laughs> had to go down the list a little. Yeah, it's, I haven't done any practice. You got to give me a bit oh, of lee. Okay. Yeah. Give me a bit of leeway. But, uh, but it was fun. I had a great time up there. I played with Todd Woodbridge the first day in the uh, the member pro section, and then the pros kept playing on the second day. But coming down the stretch, there was four players again. Grace Kim, yes, tied for the lead, playing the last. Unfortunately, she made bogey. 
Kari Webb had a two-shot lead with two to go. 17, there's a ravine to the right. Unfortunately, I don't think she knew where she stood. So she got a bit aggressive, hit it in the hazard, made double. And then on the last hole, she's got about a 20-footer down the hill for birdie to win the tournament. And I wanted to run down there and tell her it is Frighteningly quick. I mean, this putt is one of the quickest on, on the golf course. I just said frighteningly there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she knocked it 10 foot past and three putted and made bogey to miss oh, out on the playoff. No. So uh, it was a shame. But Carrie loved it. We had a great time over the two days. Yep. The, the Monday night dinner was unbelievable. We had Vince. The stories would have Vince been. Sorrenti was, uh, was, good value, Vince Sorrenti was the act. He was great fun. And uh, and then Nick Flanagan, I, I really uh, enjoyed the fact that Nick won. Sorry to, to, uh, to, to Jamie Arnold. But. Um, uh, it, w- it was great to see Nick win because uh, that'll really kickstart him again in his career. Uh, Mark Leishman at four under. Adam Scott, one under. Um, and then uh, at six over. Yeah, six, to Nick cu- Ahern. Look, a couple of 75s. <laughs> I played with... Uh, By the g- way, <laughs> well, I can't believe I'm hanging it on you. Oh, uh, I'm about to go and stink up that you, joint on Saturday. You, with- you would dream of shooting <laughs> 75. I, I, would, I would be <laughs> prancing around like I had just won in Augusta oh, yeah. if I had a six over <laughs> well, at Cathedral. Well, well, how's this for me, though? The second day, I played with Jed Morgan and yep. uh, Justin Warren. And the only t- I, I outdrove them once, right? Yeah. But, but they hit four and off the tee. And you hit every I driver, of course. Every other time, I was about fifty to eighty meters behind mm. these guys. It is frightening how far they hit a ball. There was a hole there, which I was probably my proudest moment—the ninth hole. They both hit seven iron, a par three. I hit a five wood, but I got it inside them. So that was my proud moment of the two days. Well, wonderful Cathedral Invitational. Looks like it's going to be a mainstay on the schedule now. John O'Shepard, head of performance at Ping Golf. The role of technology in sport. You guys have got a new re- uh, performance research centre uh, for Ping, now, located in Phoenix, Arizona, but it's going to be uh, and is based in uh, Loughborough in uh, University in England, and you'll explain all that to us. But just talk to us about the work that you do specifically with Ping, and then we'll broaden it all out. Yeah, thanks for, uh, for having me on the show. Uh, so my job as uh, kind of head of performance research is to run kind of a team of five engineers, uh, and we look at how the human interacts with the equipment. So we're really kind of trying to dive into the feel and the sound of a golf club. Uh, essentially, if you make a golf club for a robot, uh, that's not as hard a challenge uh, as you can imagine. But sadly for me, robots don't play golf. Uh, people play golf. Uh, and those people are unique uh, and beautiful in how they swing and pretty different. Um, you just have to rock up to your kind of first tee of any uh, any golf course locally, and you'll see there's uh, plenty of guys swinging the same kind of pieces of equipment very differently. Uh, so my job is to work out how to make that work, uh, work with our design engineers and our innovation team to kind of get these concepts, get them through to market uh, and get them into product and kind of get people playing their best. So that's my role. So that's fascinating. The, 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 I'm thinking this is all going to be about the, you know, designing the club, but you're about matching the technology with the person and it's extraordinary. He is, yeah. And and for me, what you said about uh, you know, if if you designed a golf club for a robot, basically you could easily design the perfect club. But unfortunately, unfortunately, we're not robots. And everyone, if you go to a, the range, you know, down at wherever you play, or if you go to a PGA Tour event, mm. you'll see everyone with a different golf swing. So I'm fascinated how you match up golf clubs for each individual. Now, when I was playing on tour, the ping guys that were in the truck, they used to call me the least maintenance guy on tour, which is kind of strange. In a way, all I would ever do was go in there and I'd get my caps for the week and uh, maybe a few gloves or whatever. And um, uh, about every four or five months, I'd get my regrips done on my golf clubs. But pretty much whatever they brought out, technology-wise, they knew my specs. They knew exactly, okay, this is for Nick. He's going to try that. And I'd go in a swing or two, I'd go, yep, I love it. No, nah, that one doesn't feel right. Bang, bang, bang. 
I'm amazed that you guys can do that with each individual golfer. I mean, what's the process like there? Yeah, so it's uh, it's pretty multifaceted, but I would say the game's changed drastically, uh, even in the five years that I've been working in the industry. Um, personal launch monitors, so kind of Doppler radar systems like TrackMan or GC Quad, uh, camera system, most players have access to these kind of tools at that top level now. Uh, and they're taking shots and, and measuring things like ball speed, launch angles, spin rates. Uh, and then we have some kind of algorithms that we can work out what would be best for them um, given that week. So maybe uh, they want to try and flight it down a little bit and, and a different shaft might help achieve that without changing the feel or stiffness profiles that they really like. So uh, that's that's kind of one aspect of on the kind of fine tuning, the equipment side, the gear side. Um, that could be, you know, changing swing weights or or, or whatnot, but uh, we normally leave players as well. So it's players like yourself who are you know, low maintenance players, we, we won't come over to them and push on new technology, right? It's uh, it's normally a conversation between their their team and us of of uh, what we could we do to help this situation given this different golf course and how do we optimize for some more wins? So, Jono, in in golf, the technology race is it all just about hitting longer, or is it um, about control? Is it about finding backspin for wedges? Is it about, um, you know, the weight of putters? Is it about the, the the ball itself? I mean, where's the, it's almost like an arms race, isn't it? And where is the arms race mainly centered on when it comes to golf? Yeah. So golf's a super fun engineering problem for me to work on because it's so uh, tightly governed by rules. Um, so with this quite narrow box, uh, things like coefficient of restitution, how much a ball should bounce off a whoa, face. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> gonna, big words. You're going to have to explain some of these stuff, Jono. Coefficient. Coefficient of restitution. So there's my one science word for Nick, you today. I, you got me. <laughs> I, I won't, I won't, I won't uh, bore you too much with big science words, but essentially it's how much uh, the ball would spring off the face. And, and the rules of golf dictate a certain limit so kind of companies can't be introducing what we call a spring-like effect. So there's rules to... One of those bouncy balls. Right, one of those bouncy balls. So the ball's governed and the club head is governed. Um, So we're we're kind of, I guess, tightly regulated. But with those regulations uh, means that you need to be really creative in your solutions. So for Ping, our company is really based on uh, kind of a uh, moment of inertia, so trying to stop the club face from twisting and helping forgiveness. And uh, Carsten kind of was an original, he was an engineer, started the company 60 years ago. He moved his family over from kind of Norway, uh, worked as an engineer and kind of was terrible at golf, made his own putter. And, 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 uh, and he invented the rabbit ears on the TV, right? Rabbit, rabbit yeah. ears on the TV. Remember the rabbit ears on the TV that, that used was, to go up? Really? That was Carsten. He invented that. So. Work, wow. Working for General Electric at the time. Isn't that incredible? And then uh, it is. Uh, moved on to the golf spaces. He kind of made a few putters. Those putters, everyone was like, wow, you couldn't putt. And now you can putt. What's going on? And back in the, in the 50s, golf wasn't a highly engineered sport like it is today. It, was, it had vastly more room for, for moving, moving and, and innovation and change. And Carsten brought these kind of fundamental engineering principles. Um, and then his son, John A., took over, uh, who also studied engineering. And his son, John K., kind of currently runs the company, who also studied engineering. So we're a, a family of very nerdy engineers um, <laughs> who run the company. Um, but they're, you know, absolutely brilliant people. They, they care, you know, so much about their staff and their players. They're the family of, of people who own and use Ping Golf Club. So it's uh, for me, it's a pleasure to work for them. But Well, you know, I was also just on that point of how you can, you know, increase performance through these parameters that you've got to stay with. And I mean, there's a big, obviously, debate going on at the moment in the world of golf of the rules and regulations, you know, should mm-hmm. they roll back the ball? Should they do this and that? I mean, I, I wrote a bit about it. I, I just wrote a new book called How to Play Your Best Golf. And the opening chapter is about 
distance and, mm. and the lure of distance. And I've always said, well, if you want to hit a six iron further, you just hit a five iron. So, you know, <laughs> we've, we've got that. However, I love that. with the driver, well, that's the one we obviously want to max out the most. Now, I, I could see the potential where, um, you know, the professionals have a certain set of rules and then the rest of the golfers out there, the amateurs, they have another set of rules for equipment. Can you sort of see that coming along, you know, in the game? Because you're obviously knee deep in this stuff. And do you think it should come along? Because I am I see players in five, ten years hitting the ball easily 400 yards consistently. I mean, because everyone growing up now is basically taught to hit the ball hard. Mm. Speed is what we're after. When I grew up, it was all about control because I was using a persimmon wood and then a small-headed metal wood and the balls spun a lot. I mean, I'd love to see a ball that spins more so that these guys would go, hang on. Um, you know, I got to uh, get some control on the ball again. Whereas now, they were, it's all about taking spin off the ball with the driver. So, how does that sort of fit in with what you do? Do you think? Yeah. So the kind of rule rollbacks is something that would be up to the two governing bodies of golf, the RNA and the USGA. As a golf equipment manufacturers, I think we don't want to go down the side of you know making people go out and buy more equipment for the sake of it, mm. uh, based on a rule change. Also, innovation kind of schedules are very long. Uh, we, we work kind of eight years into the future um, and kind of five years or so in cycles of trying to understand what's coming down the pipeline. So any rule changes that occurred, I think there would be some large period before it did come online for the for the general public or yeah. for the elite game. Yeah, the one thing in your favour with the RNA and the USGA, they're very slow in doing these things. They take forever because they got to do their surveys and all this sort of thing. So, so you got that on your side for sure. But I'm seeing you know, college programs in the US, you know, it's a lot of their recruiting is based on how far you hit the ball now rather than can, can you get the ball in the hole? I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll teach that later, but you can't, it's hard to teach speed, obviously. Yeah, it's a good point. I think uh, Mark Brody from the kind of Columbia Business School wrote a book called Every Stroke Counts. Uh, and he's a good mm. kind of friend of, from, friend of ours. I actually work with his son at Ping. Um, uh, and uh, I think that's really kind of changed the approach of taking some t- statistics and going, yeah, if you do hit the ball further, you will have an advantage. Uh, so it makes sense that people would then recruit and, and try and optimize and maximize for that. For me as an engineer, a big sweeping rule change sounds like a lot of fun because mm. it means I get to go back to the toy shop and, and reinvent the rules <laughs> of what we can what we can uncover. Um, I think Ping, Blair, you know, prides itself in being the most knowledgeable company in, in golf, especially in the golf science front. We have 100 engineers who work on developing golf equipment, which is seems kind of ridiculous, uh, but it's a, it's a lot of fun to be around those people who are just driving forward to make sure you hit it straighter. It's kind of a big one, and, and as long as possible within the rules. Uh, John O'Shepard's the head of performance research at Ping Golf. Um, the other part of this too, though, is... How far do you go before you lose the essence of what the game is? And you were sort of touching on that, Nick. So is it really, Jono, an arms race? Because as you say, you don't want people to have to buy new clubs every other every uh, every couple of years because they have to try and keep up. Um, so there's the, the, the conscience side of it, the ethical side of it as well, when it comes to keeping people it achievable for people, making it viable for people, but also making sure that the game is an unrecognisable um you know, in 10, 25, 30, 50 years' time? Yeah, we, we've we actually partnered with a data company called Arcos, and we have sensors that plug into our golf clubs. Um, and uh, so we've captured about 100 million shots on golf courses with, in what I'd say is real golfers, and we can look at their data and compare it to our test data and make sure we're engineering the right things. But one thing is that the general population isn't really hitting it longer. And our research wouldn't say that your average punter uh, at a golf course is longer and straighter than they were before. However, the elite game has become a lot more physical, a lot more trained. Our optimizations are 
you know, pretty solid and sound for them. Imagine an F1 race car driver and then comparing that to someone driving their Prius to, to Coles or Woolies to <laughs> pick up the milk. You know, it's, it, yeah. is a, it is a different game at the top echelon. And um, I can understand this is where you know, Nick touched on bifurcation or having different equipment, maybe balls or clubs for the elite to the amateurs. And that could be a solution that the, the rules bodies decide. But yeah. um, that would just be speculation for me because as, as an engineer, we just wait to see what the rules come out and then... Uh, we, we run away with it all. But um, yeah, data data is a big part of the game, but I don't think your average person is, is hitting it miles too far to, to protect golf courses. Mm. What I think we should be focusing on is how do we get people into golf? Uh, how do we get more you know young girls, young boys uh, from all abilities, all ages, playing golf and, and trying to drive uh, what is a great sport, You know, get outdoors and, and, and kind of have fun with some mates. Mm. So for me, that's where I'd love to see some rule change and I don't know what that means, but the more we can promote the game, um, the, the better for me. Yeah. And I'm, I look, I'm all for Sam getting more distance, enjoying his game a bit more because <laughs> oh, I haven't seen his golf swing yet. Just accuracy but, would be fine. But yeah, but, but he tells me about it quite a lot. So I, I'm all for the average golfer to get in a state of panic <laughs> <laughs> to just get as much out of their game as possible. Yeah. But, but we're talking, you know, at the elite level, at the tour pro level, I guess you'd say less than, you know, half a percent of players, basically maybe 0.1 of, percent of, of the golfers that are out there. So I can definitely see that bifurcation uh, as you're talking about. Now, sort of switching a bit away from that, um, you guys just don't obviously deal in uh, golf club design and all that, but I, I was reading like, you, you know, you're trying to create the perfect head cover and things like that. I mean, how far do you go with this stuff? Because like my caddy, he was saying, I've always wanted this perfect bag. You know, I mean, the, 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 the tour pro caddies out there, that, that's that's like a, a mythical thing for them almost is to have this perfect bag. Whenever mm. they got it, I'd usually throw a brick or two down the bottom just to weigh it down on them a little bit more. So they go, hang on, <laughs> why, why is this heavy? <laughs> well, what sort of things also are you looking at, um, you know, creating? Yeah, so uh, anything to do is, with golf itself, we're kind of interested in. The head cover one you bring up is really interesting. Uh, we've had our CEO watching some golf and a head cover blew away from a competitor brand. And so that was a straightaway a research question. What miles of hour of wind does our current head cover blow away? <laughs> and we had a bunch of interns out in the range in, in Ping uh, HQ in Phoenix with a uh, kind of leaf blowers essentially seeing what what tire, you know, what number it was at. And then for him going, okay, well, that's not good enough. Make it 25% better for the next one. So uh, we, we go into all sorts of detail from uh, accelerated weathering tests on those, so putting you know, a head cover essentially in UV light, exposing it to two years of wear and making sure it doesn't discolor or fade wow. uh, to really try and kind of keep you know, our customers happy and, and make sure everyone's uh, doing the right thing. Um, I want to ask you about other sport, um, but surely there's a design coming very soon for people like me that is basically a, a homing beacon um, f- to find my ball. <laughs> I mean, if I could, an app where you're just on your phone, a beep, 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 and just be able to find that. And where my tea goes? Uh, after I, <laughs> so you I don't just, put you don't put the string in the ground or whatever. But, you know, have you seen those? Where you I haven't the, seen those. Um, <laughs> so there's there's a job uh, for you guys with the ball tracker. Uh, actually, be able to track the ball when I've lost it. Um, what about other sport? Because as I mentioned before, Jono, um, you uh, in one of your many roles, uh, you've also been the president of the International Sports Engineering Association, the industry body for sports engineering sector. Are there any other sports that you can give us an insight to that are doing? or about to, or making quantum leaps in, in technology and, and, and what it might do to change the face of those particular sports? Yeah, so, I mean, the world of sports is always super exciting. There's always, uh, you know, tons of innovations coming to market. Um, obviously, FIFA World Cup 
on at the moment. The Football World Cup's kind of an exciting one, and we work with FIFA a little bit in their kind of quality assurance programs to mm. work out, you know, what's offside and what's not offside. Uh, the new ball this year has a smart sensor inside the ball, which detects spin rate. Uh, it actually ruled out, you know, Ronaldo, I think, scoring a goal. It got kind of changed to somebody else because we didn't see any deflection from the ball data after the match. So uh, I'm sure he took that well. He's taken a lot well at this World Cup. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm, I'm yeah. sure it went down like a lead balloon. Yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, I think across across the world and uh, athletes are trying to get faster and technology's always been a way of pushing that boundary. So. Just one, concussion is a massive one in AFL um, here, rugby league, but it's sort of stemmed from um, research that was coming out earlier in the US with the NFL. What can you, is there anything you can tell us about what might be happening in the headgear space for contact sports and um, any technology? Because it, it's maybe one of the biggest threats to participation in um, contact sports is um, the fear of concussion and the long-term effects of it. Yeah, so uh, better regulations are coming down the pipeline. I believe I read last week that's in Scotland, they're not allowing players to head balls the day before or the day after the game to try and kind of reduce any impact injuries. But uh, player monitoring is always a big deal. So a lot of these athletes are wearing GPS tracking units, which have inertial sensors inside, which can measure uh, acceleration changes. And then any time that person is at risk, we can tell from the data rather than just going up to speak to them. Uh, yeah, fascinating. I mean, I'm I'm just blown away by all this mm. information that's uh, you know yep. coming out. I mean, at uh, one last question for me at Loughborough University, um, are there other you know companies like golf companies or sports companies there that are um, you know doing similar sort of thing there? Because obviously this university is one of the biggest in England, and uh, you know they have a and obviously a, you know a massive expanse of, of of technology and brains going on there, which are very very smart people, well above our pay mm. grade. Uh, Sam, are there other companies there that you can sort of pick brains from as well? Yeah, exactly. So uh, Loughborough University is kind of the largest sports university in the UK, um, but they are very good at engineering, which is also helpful. So Rolls-Royce has a little side on campus. Um, but in the in the sports world, uh, kind of the England cricket team has their high performance centre there and then other sports. So uh, British triathlon and British swimming, um, the netball teams, they, they train out of that base regularly. So um, it's always fun kind of crossing paths with their data analysts and their technologists to ask you know what they're working on. Jono, this has been uh, incredibly uh, fascinating and a great insight into the role of technology in sport, mate. Um, Jono Shepard's the head of performance research at Ping Golf, uh, born and raised in Canberra, uh, over in the US in Phoenix and now over in Loughborough University in England in travelling the world and changing the world uh, of sport uh, through technology. It's, uh, it's, it's incredible stuff, mate. Thanks for sharing it with us. Yeah, thanks for having me in. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jono.